I don't, I don't fly all that often, uh, just often enough to be completely annoyed at the entire process of flying. I, I love to travel. I love to go to new places. I just don't like getting there. And so here's how I've learned to cope with the whole process of flying. As soon as I get on a plane, I get all my stuff stowed away, and I kind of relax in my seat. I don't recline my seat, but I relax and I fold my arms, and I fall asleep as soon as possible. I actually slept through an entire flight one time. It was wonderful. Fall asleep in one state and wake up in another state. It's kind of like kids with Christmas, you know. If I go to sleep earlier, Santa will come quicker, right? And so that's how I figured. If I go to sleep now, then I'll get there all the quicker. It wasn't too long ago I was on a flight and, and I was going through my usual routine. I, I put my stuff away, I folded my arms, closed my eyes. I, I've got this perfect little angle that I sit at that, that lets me kind of get comfortable. And I felt a tap on my arm. And it was the flight attendant. And she wanted to make sure that I was going to stay awake for the pre-flight instructions. She thought it was important that I stay awake for those. You know the pre-flight instructions? where the, 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 the flight attendant tells you where the exits are, they tell you how the oxygen mask comes down, they tell you about how your seat can be used as a flotation device, because you're probably going to make a water landing over Ohio, I guess, somehow. That could happen, maybe. I, 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 I woke up enough to, to hear about all that, but first of all, I had heard it all before. I mean, it's exactly the same. I could get up and do that myself. But, but here's the problem that I brought to the equation. I didn't think that those instructions were about me. I didn't think they were for me. Those are for new people. You see, I know how seatbelts work. I know how the oxygen mask works. I, I know all of that stuff. I've seen it before. I've heard it before. This is for new people. I am above all of this. You know, if, if we're not careful, we bring that attitude into life in a lot of different ways. <laughs> if we're not careful, we, we think that we're above the rules, that, that we're above the instructions. We see the speed limit sign, and yet we know that this is an emergency. And it's an emergency, and I deserve to be able to travel faster than all these other people. Uh, we, we know we're not supposed to check our phones while we're driving but this is an emergency. This could be an important text. I, I need to take a look at it. Well, those rules don't apply to us, do they? Now, sometimes we, we ignore instructions. We think they don't apply. And, and it's very easy to do that with this passage. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, the first nine verses. It's on page 979 in your Bibles in front of you. If you've got the Version app, the Wi-Fi is working today should be working today. It was working today. Uh, and, uh, and I've got all of my notes there on the Version app. But it's easy to think a passage like this doesn't apply to us. But right from the very beginning, the first verse says, children, obey your parents. Well, I'm not a child. Or, or maybe I don't have a child. So, so why do I need to read this? And then we get into verses nine through or 5 through 9, which is all about the relationship between slaves and their masters. Well, how does that apply today? Why do we need to read this? But at its heart, this passage is about the relationships that make up the life of the church. Relationships that we have within the church. It's about our lives. It's about the people we encounter every day. And how we treat those people says volumes about who we are, about the value of our faith, and the difference that it makes in our lives. 
have struck up a little tiny friendship with a homeless man in Charleston. It all started when he stopped me as I was walking into Starbucks one day and he actually said these words. He said, hey buddy, have you got a quarter? And I don't know how many times I've heard that said in movies. Hey buddy, have you got a dime? Have you got a quarter? I think they raised it to a quarter a while back. And I thought, I can't believe he's trying that line on me. That's amazing. And I didn't have a quarter that day. But since then, I've made sure I have quarters. And and we run into each other every now and then. And One day I was sitting in Starbucks. I was working on my final paper. Which, by the way, my final paper for uh, for my master's degree was about the rich man and Lazarus and how the rich man ignored the poor man that was at his gate. And I see this guy walking by and I went, don't look at me, don't look at me, don't look at me. And then I thought, no you idiot. (laughs) Look at what you're working on right now. And I waved at him and he came in and sat down with me for a while and we we struck up this little conversation. Some days I've got a quarter, some days I've got a conversation, but what I found was if I ever want him to hear me, I need to hear him. I need to treat him as though he is valuable because he is and that this relationship is important. That's what Paul's talking about here. Conduct uh, about how we need to conduct ourselves in these relationships as we do in our relationship with Christ. What, what he's showing us is that we need to treat the other person the way we want Jesus to treat us. Treat the other person the way you want Jesus to treat you. And so there's lessons in this passage for all of us, children and, and parents, slaves and free. And I want to share about three lessons with you today from this passage. And the first one is quite simply this. In your relationships with each other, do what is right. Do what is right. Now, now last week we looked at what Paul says at the end of chapter 5 about husbands and wives, and we realized that really to understand it, we have to go back to chapter 5, verse 21, where Paul says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that's where we had to begin to understand the relationship of husbands and wives, and that's where we need to begin again today, that we submit to one another as we read about children, as we read about parents, as we read about fathers. Now the language has changed here a little bit, and the language instead of talking about submitting, instead in verse 1, we read, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I want you to notice though, the force does not come from the parents. This does not say, children, obey your parents because they said so. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. The force of this command comes from the child's relationship with Jesus. If you've got the New Living Translation, I love the way they translate it here. The New Living Translation says, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. That relationship with the Lord is primary. And the appeal to obedience is, is made because it's the right thing for the child to do. The right thing for the child to do is to to obey. And that's something we all need to hear, and it's something we all need to do. We need to do the right thing. Now, sometimes the right thing is not the popular thing. Sometimes the right thing is not the easy thing. It's seldom the cheapest thing, and it's certainly never the quickest thing. And so for that reason, the right thing may also be the difficult thing, but that's okay. We read on verses 1-3, through Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I've always read that promise is very practical, right? Obey your father and mother that it will go well with you and you will live long. Because <laughs> if you don't, they're going to kill you, right? That's what dad said. You either do this or, or, or we're done. You know, we're going to do you in. But what Paul is trying to get us to see here is there is significance in doing the right thing. Doing the right thing changes who we are. It changes who we are now, and it changes our future. And again, he doesn't call us to do the easy thing. He doesn't call us to do the quick thing, but the right thing. When you think about parenting and the examples of parents that we have in the Bible, probably the closest thing we have to a perfect parent in the Bible, and, and I don't think there's any perfect parents in the Bible, but the closest thing we've got is probably Mary and Joseph. I say they're not perfect because uh, they forgot their kid one day, right? Uh, so, you know, there you go. Feel good about that uh, when you do that. Uh, but we, we think about Mary and Joseph as probably the closest thing to perfect parents. Matthew, in, in Matthew chapter 1, says of Joseph that when he found out that Mary was pregnant, he set it in his heart to divorce her quietly. He felt like that was the best thing he could do to divorce her quietly. Now you realize that in that society, he had every right to, uh, to divorce her loudly. He had very ri every right to, to make a spectacle of her, to, to bring shame upon her and her whole family. He had every right to, to, to accuse her of adultery and, and, and shame her. In fact, according to the Bible, he had every right to take her outside the city gate and have her stoned to death on the wall. But he didn't do that. Instead, he, he did the right thing. And that's what our obedience to Jesus calls for us in, in our relationships with each other. There'll be times when we'll be tempted to do the wrong thing. There'll be times when, when we're tempted to do things that make us feel better. There'll be times when we're tempted to tell someone off. When we're tempted to exert our authority, to exert our rights. But will any of that demonstrate our relationship with Jesus? Will any of that show that we belong to Him? The call is simple. Just do the right thing. And then Paul turns his attention to fathers here. And again, we hear a call for each one of us. And the call for each one of us is to do the long-lasting thing. To do the long-lasting thing. Look at verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want to take a moment and just point something out here that I don't want you to miss. Did you notice that verses 1-3 through three were addressed, addressed directly to the children? He didn't say, fathers, tell your kids to obey you in the Lord. He addressed the children. He said, children, by the way, girls and boys together, right? He didn't say just the young men. He said he talks about girls and boys. He addressed the children directly in the church. Now, now typically, a letter like Ephesians, a letter like this letter, uh, would be read during the assembly. It would be read during the worship time. The church would come together. And they would sing some songs, they would take the Lord's Supper, they would read some Scriptures, and someone would say, we got a letter from the Apostle Paul, we're going to read it. And everybody would be together, and they would read that letter. 
Paul wrote those three verses fully expecting that children would be present in the gathering that day. He wanted them to hear His words to them. He didn't want them to have to listen to what their father said when they got together and said, by the way, Paul says you should do this. He wanted the children to hear Him. He also wanted the children to hear the words that He said to the fathers. Now, I, I say that because I think it is wonderful. I think it is great that we have children's church. And it just does my heart good every Sunday when I see the kids heading off to children's church. I know they're being taught some wonderful things. I know they're having a wonderful time. But every now and then we have the kids stay in here. And I think that's wonderful also. I think it's great when the kids are, are here, when they get to sit next to their parents or their grandparents or their friends, and they get to sit here together with all of us. I think it's, I love that they're learning how to sit. I love that they're learning how to take part in worship. They're learning how to behave and, and how to listen. Because in doing that, I think we're doing something that is long-lasting, something that will be with them the rest of their lives. And you hear that in what Paul says to the fathers. He says, bring them up. This isn't a quick fix. This isn't something to give them something to do to, to keep them quiet, because I need five minutes to think. No, this is, this is, a, lifelong, this is a lifelong journey. This is a long-term goal. That's what parenting is. But more than that, that's what discipleship is. It's what we do for each other. It is a lifelong process of, of teaching one another how to follow Jesus. I worry that that's something that our society just doesn't get today. I, I worry it's something that we don't understand. If we're honest, people my age and younger, maybe a little bit older than me, let's be honest, we were raised by TV. Television raised us. And television taught us that all problems can be solved in 30 minutes with three commercial breaks to go to the bathroom while, while you're solving those problems. That's not reality. Reality is life is hard and, and life is a long walk and, and there are problems, no problem ever gets solved in 30 minutes and there are problems that don't get solved in 30 years. Some problems never get solved. And we need to stop and ask, what is the ultimate goal of this relationship? What is it that I want to see in this other person? And the answer needs to be, I want to see this person become more and more like Jesus. And if that's going to mean that I start acting more and more like Jesus. So what am I bringing to the relationship to see that happen? Am I bringing trust into that relationship? Am I bringing grace to that relationship? Am I bringing forgiveness into that relationship. We've got friends. We've got friends who've never known forgiveness. They, they need to know that somewhere. They, they need to see that in us. Am I bringing my own example? And sometimes it means seeing people beyond the way they are now. Sometimes it means seeing beyond the immaturity and the faults that, that they have now and giving them opportunities to grow. Trusting them with, with bigger things, to do greater things. Can you see the potential for the kindness and care that you show someone today? Can you see that potential of what it can do to them 20 years, 30 years down the road? What that kindness, what that forgiveness might, uh, might inspire in them? And that brings us to one other lesson for all of us here. And that is that we need to do what is difficult. We need to do the difficult thing. Verses 5-9 through nine, are hard for us to hear. Verses 5-9 through nine are about the relationships between slaves and masters there in the, the church in Ephesus, there in the Roman Empire. <clears throat> and so I want to preface this by just saying a couple of things. First of all, what we all need to always remind ourselves of is this. 
Slavery in the Roman Empire was not, was not racial. It was not the same as slavery in, in our American history, in, in, our, in our recent history. In the Roman Empire, anyone could become a slave. All you had to do to become a slave was lose a war, and you would be taken as a slave. All you had to do to become a slave was to go broke and, and be sold into slavery. <clears throat> in fact, many people, many people who were slaves in the, in the Roman Empire sold themselves into slavery to pay off their debts because if they sold themselves into slavery, at least they would be taken care of. They would be fed. They would, be, uh, they would have a place to live. And so they would sell themselves into slavery. And, and they didn't always sell themselves for the rest of their lives. Sometimes they would work off that debt and, and leave that life. There were also laws protecting slaves. It was not perfect. I don't want you to think it was perfect, but, but it's not the same as what we've seen in our recent history, and slaves were cared for. But the other thing I, want you to, I don't want you to miss is this. Just like Paul addressing the children in verses 1 through 3, Paul addresses slaves themselves here. He addresses both slaves and their owners, and in fact, you notice, he addresses the slaves first. He fully expected slaves and their owners to be sitting together in church as equals. And, and so he addresses them to, to care for each other. The only place in the Roman Empire that that kind of equality was happening was within the church, in the Christian community. And so we read these words beginning in verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as, as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with Him. I've heard preachers try to contextualize this passage. Try to, try to bring it up to, to our modern life and, and try to put it in modern terms. One of my favorite books about the, the, book, uh, about the letter to the Ephesians, one of my favorite books has a chapter called How to Boss Like Jesus Was Your Employee. And then the other the other chapter says how to work as though Jesus was your boss. They, they put both of those side by side. And I, I think that's wonderful. I think that's helpful. But let's try to look at this for everyone. There's always going to be difficult relationships. There's always going to be difficult situations. There's always going to be strained and unequal relationships. Way back in chapter 4, verse 2, Paul told us to bear with one another. And I told you then, that that word bear with, it literally means put up with one another. That's what it means that we have to put up with one another. How we handle those difficult and uneven relationships tells us a lot about our faith. Tells us a lot about our love. And so Paul says to the slaves, obey as though you were obeying Christ. And it's very similar to what he said to the children. Not just out of eye service. Not just when the boss is watching, but all the time because Jesus is watching. And then what does he say to the masters? The masters who he addresses second, he says, do the same to them. And then he adds in, stop your threatening. Don't you dare hold something over someone else's 
head, and that applies to all of us. I've seen that far too often where there is an unequal unequal relationship and maybe somebody's got something over someone else. Maybe you got a little dirt on someone else. Or maybe you've done something nice to them and now you expect them to pay you back. Or even it's just the status that some people think that they have because society says they have status. He says that's not how Jesus treated you. In fact, if we went back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 tells us that Christ emptied himself. He emptied himself of everything that he had and he found it being found in the form of a human, being found in the form of a man, even taking on the role of a servant. Taking on the role of a servant. That's what Jesus did for you. So you treat others as Jesus treated you, even the difficult people. You know, people watch the way we treat other people. They notice how we treat other people. And, and if you're a Christian, I think they're even more critical. I think they're watching even closer. What do you want them to see? Do you want them to see how short a fuse you have? Or do you want them to see how gracious your Savior is? The way you care for another person speaks volumes, especially if it's someone that society would say that, that you owe nothing to, that it's someone that society would say are, are disposable or throw away. The way you care, especially in those difficult situations, those difficult relationships, the way you care does not escape notice. And that's true of the notice of other people. But more importantly, it does not escape God's notice. Verse 9 simply says of God, there is no partiality with Him. In their world, much like in our world, there were people that were treated preferentially. There were people who were treated with partiality. Slaves, slaves, children, and even wives were considered property. They weren't considered the same as, as the free men. But listen to what Paul says here. Everything Paul has said here shows that we have equal standing before God and we should have equal standing before each other. Now in just a few moments, we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing a song called, I Will Be Christ to You. And, and Shirley and Donna picked these songs out and and very often, they, they just kind of pick them out, they pray about it, they get together and they pray about these songs, and, and it amazes me how often they work, how often they fit with, with what I'm preaching. In fact, Chad, can you go ahead and just put the words up there? For I will be Christ to you. There you go. Hey, well, those are easy enough. Put the next slide up just for the fun of it. There you go, let's do that. You know, it's a nice song, it's a nice way to close the service, but it's also a commitment. It's a commitment to each other. It's a commitment to do the right thing. It's a commitment to do the long-lasting thing. It's also a commitment to do the difficult thing. It will also very likely mean doing the inconvenient thing. The thing that's not convenient for us to do. And often, very often, it will, be mean, it will mean doing the thing I don't want to do. The thing I would rather not do. But at some point, if you take your relationship with Christ seriously, you have to decide that you would rather others see Christ in you than you get your own way. Because more than anything, you want to see Christ in that person as well. So let's commit today as we sing this song. Let's commit to do the right thing. Let's commit to do the long-lasting thing. Let's commit to doing the difficult thing. Let's commit to being Christ to each other.
Let's stand together. Let me pray and then we'll sing. Father, on our own, on our own, it is far too easy for us just to brush other people off. It's far too easy to seek our own way and our own wants. But through every encounter we have this coming week, every encounter we have, every person we meet, whether they just want a quarter or whether they just want a minute of our time, remind us of our call to do the right thing, to do the long-term thing, and even to do the difficult thing. Remind us that when we were at our absolute worst, Your Son, Jesus, loved us and forgave us. We want others to experience that kind of love. And we hope they experience that through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.